everybody. Oh, okay. Sarah Henning, back on the program. Hi. One of the OGs, first 25 episodes, episode number 24, <laughs> 2018. Yes. You know, we, uh, we did an episode on why we hate millennials. And today we're asking the question, do we still hate millennials? Sarah, what do you say? Uh, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> yes and no. I think uh, we're going to find out in the next year or so if millennials are going to emerge the heroes of of the, the pandemic, if this is our sort of watershed moment to solidify what we have truly in the eyes of other generations or, um, or if people are going to continue to mischaracterize us, which is the other thing that is really happening right now. It's both yeah. sides of the fence. Yep. So it, when we originally talked and in, in the conversations we've had in the meantime, a lot of the focus was around, um, you know, boomers and, and the people who are really the managers and the owners in the workplace at the time. And right now they saw hard work as like, you show up at eight you, or nine, you leave at five, you know, you grind it out. You're there, whether you have stuff to do or not, it's more yep. about being present than it is being productive. Yep. Um, and part of the generational divide is, you know, millennials look at it and say, I, I can finish my work. I'll go get my haircut at noon or at two or, or whatever. And I might finish off some work at nine. I will get it done. I don't want to be confined to this space. And now this whole coronavirus thing and the safer at home orders. And I mean, that's like you said, before we start recording, you've been teaching people how to use zoom. Yeah, right. Exactly. That it's all of that. I think all of our normal sort of ways of approaching work have been obliterated, including that approach that new approach to work-life balance because I think what we talked about on the last episode was that's a that was a really hard concept for a lot of Xers and boomers to grab onto but when surveyed by research institutes they actually liked it mm -hmm. they liked that progression towards what that work-life balance really looked like and now with the new pandemic it's blown everything up for people that are frontline mm -hmm. workers they have no work-life balance because they're working insane hours based on demand and need. And for people who can, can work from home, they have no work-life balance because of everything that they're balancing while they're at home and they don't step away from work now. Now work is at home. Interesting. And, and uh, with millennials specifically, right? So one of the things that uh, we'll probably get more into, but millennials, just as a reminder, there's a couple, there's varying def definitions, right? About what that is, but if we generally talk to about people who were born in 1980 to 2000, that's the broader definition. So we'll kind of just use that one as a starting point. Think about people that are in the age group of 40 to 20, right? In that, by that definition, the oldest age group is 40. Um, and if you think about it, let's use an average age of starting to have kids to be around 28. Mm -hmm. More than half of that group has kids at home that they're right. In theory, more than half of that group. Yeah. A percentage of half of that group is managing um, kids at home while they're doing all of their work, right? So besides work-life balance, like that blurring and not being non-existent, we're now at like layering on top the parent and family management. And that's like, it's all completely one concept right now, right? So um, there's a lot on the shoulders of millennials as a whole that's happening. Well, I saw a meme the other day where it said Alexa homeschool the kids. <laughs> I thought that right. was hilarious because we've got, we've got two Alexas in our house and I'm like, man, that, we might be headed in that direction. I wouldn't be shocked if the algorithms figure it out somehow. I said, I said, as this pandemic was starting and we were moving from moving to work from home, like in the first couple of weeks, I started telling people, 
Uh, just be ready for Jeff Bezos and Apple to know how to do your job by the time this is over because they are listening in. Yeah. <laughs> they are listening in. We know they're listening in. 100%. They're going to, I fully expect Amazon will have like Amazon workforce coming out of, oh, out of the pandemic. <laughs> So, so I'm laughing, but but for real, let's, yeah, let's do this podcast again in ten years and see. We'll look back and laugh on that. Well, and and it's so interesting. So you know, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Your business model, I mean, not changed that much because you already work from home a lot. And so, the biggest yeah. thing is like speaking engagements, workshops in person, etc. The live uh, stuff. My business. I mean, I in 2016 basically decided I'm going pretty much 70 percent virtual at the time. Um, and now I'm just at a hundred. I mean, I've, I, oh, yeah. my, my wife's looking at me and she's like, how are you thriving during this? You're just so happy and like relaxed. I'm like, Oh, I'm just enjoying, I'm enjoying life. I'm fi- trying to find a silver lining in all this. Um, yeah. but I, I think we're going to be forced into that transition. So we all talk about this new normal. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a guy this morning. He said, well, it's, it's only a new normal if you haven't been doing it already. But right. like you said, millennials have been advocating for this forever. Yeah. And well, I will say this. I think it's a new normal because we also have to manage up and down with it for people who hasn't, it hasn't been a normal for. Yeah. Because I would say, even though this has been my normal, I don't know what your experience has been, but with my clients that I work with in the first month of going to work from home, the first two weeks were really like, here's how to use the technology. Here's how to maximize it. Let's make sure you're maximizing it for your clients, which was lucky for me that I had that as a value add for my clients, right? The second two weeks was around time management and emotional Mm. health and mental health. And I'm not a mental health professional, but it was so much like, how are you feeling? What's stressing you out? How can we create a less stressful environment for you? Because I think there were so many different like things coming from all the different directions that it's interesting that when people transition to work from home, I think the other thing that happened for them is that, um, is that they started to, how you feel about work is impacted by where you work. It really mm-hmm. is. I mean, I've heard so many people say like, I like the flexibility of working from home and that's great. And if I could, if I could have that as an option, I'd love to do that. But man, I really am way more productive when I go into the office. There's certain meetings I would just love to have face to face with all my colleagues. Um, There's just things we can do better when we're all together as a group. So I think that there's kind of a lot that's, again, like it could be the new normal. It should be the new normal. It definitely should be an increased part of, I think, the new normal going forward for companies that really want to thrive. And, um, you know, it's not unlikely that this could happen again, right? If it happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu um, and it's happening now again, like, are we really prepared? What are we going to learn from it in the future going forward so that we can be prepared for it, right? Yeah, I think, you know, my biggest fear is that second wave, just studying. I mean, I was never a, a I'm not a, 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 a specialist in pandemics, but man, oh man, have I been curious since this started. Um, you know, I, so I personally, like my wife said, I've been thriving working from home. I love it. I'm way more productive. But I was reading an article. Um, so a company here, Michael Hyatt, his, his staff, based out of Franklin, they've got 30 people. Their office setup is, I think, what's going to be the future. So they, you can, you can either vote, vote work from home 
or they have a, a an office, basically like a WeWork type deal, but it's yeah. only for their office. Yep. So nobody has a private private office. It's all communal workspace. So yeah. the 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 situations that happen in the office where there's just an off the top idea and then everybody collaborates and, and that's something you miss out working virtually. Um, that is still available if you want to. That's where I personally, as I've been thinking through this, I think the shift's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be exclusive anymore. I think it's going to be a choice. Right. I think, uh, I, I hope that's the way that we go. I think that's a great model to have. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually worry if this is the new normal. The group I worry about is Gen Z. Because mm, they've because, never had the office experience. And they are um, so socially connected through virtual means and rely on virtual means that there is a little bit of a trend that I'm seeing in some of the work that I'm doing. It's, it happens with younger millennials and with Gen Z, that there's some nuance of how you develop your critical thinking and your communication abilities that have to be experienced in person. Mm. I also think that it is really difficult for older generations. I think courageous, I, you know, you hear the term courageous conversations or said a different way, giving people critical feedback are really hard for people in general. And I think um, it's even harder when you feel like you're not face to face with people to have those conversations. And so that's part of mentoring people and helping train them and helping them get better at certain things, especially those soft skills. Like they're hard to learn if you're not observing them, observing people doing them firsthand, which a work a live work environment offers a lot of, um, and again, the impact on the older generations to be able to give that feedback face-to-face -face versus virtually, which again, adapt, adapt or die, right? That yeah. is, that's part of what we're going to have to do, but that's kind of one of the things I've been thinking about is besides millennial generation, um, just the generation right behind them that are graduating this year, you know, from, from college, um, or have been out in the workplace since high school for four years now, what are they going to be missing out on? Um, so. so what are some of those soft skills in particular? Yeah, so I think, um, I think actually managing feedback and like managing critical feedback when you hear it not in short phrases, <laughs> right, over text, hearing, having to look someone in the eyes when they're telling you, we, we didn't love how you did this, this job. Yeah. We didn't love how you did this thing, or this is the thing that you need to improve or get better on. Um, uh, you know, being able to kind of handle and receive that feedback, that's, that is a soft skill that's going to be super important. Um, and I don't think you can shorten up critical feedback in a meaningful way. Hmm. I think um, really, really correctly expressing empathy is a thing that's best done live in some capacity, right? So um, you can do it over a screen and you can do it over a phone, but you can't do it over text message or Snapchat or TikTok or things of that nature. And that, um, that seems to be lost a little bit. That, and I will say, um, they're saying that Gen Z will be a more competitive generation. And so I think mm. that, so I think that loss of empathy and learning how to be empathetic is going to be, if that's paired with becoming a more competitive generation, which is not a bad thing, but if you pair those two together and empathy doesn't, the development of empathy doesn't develop, sorry, if empathy doesn't develop while competition is rising, there's going to be some real conflict in workforces as they kind of matriculate into the workforce, especially given 
that millennials are the biggest chunk of the workforce, right? And they're mm -hmm. defined by collaboration, not by competitive nature. So that'll rub up against <laughs> a lot of what they know and how they are naturally, if, if that's actually true. Um, and then I just think generally public speaking skills and professional oh, communication skills will get lost along with, um, I think the correlation between written professional communication and ver like the, the understanding like how you write an email to your friends or to your professors or to your teachers is still different than how you would write it to clients, how you would write it to colleagues, how you would write it to your bosses. And so a lot of times you learn those, those nuances of, or those differentiations, not because you've had a college course on it, not because you've had a online course on it, not because a mentor sat down and talked you through it, but because you learn it and pick it up by those various interactions that happen both live and then through the medium of email or, or things of that nature. So, yeah, that's so, that's so fascinating. I never even thought about until today when you mentioned it about how it's going to impact the next generation that hasn't even started working yet. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting. Well, <laughs> and like 22 to 30 is when life really kicks you in the face. You yeah, know, like you're learning on an so much on an extreme <laughs> level. Yes. Not that not that life gets softer afterwards. It's just you get a little more callous because you've got a little bit of experience and you've got a little bit of knowledge and all these different things. When you're 23, you might think you know everything, but trust me, at 23, I knew absolutely nothing. Right. I mean, today I still know absolutely nothing, but I know a little <laughs> bit less nothing than a 23. But uh, now you can admit you know less. Correct. <laughs> when you're 22, correct. you probably thought you knew everything. Yes. 100%. Right? You weren't admitting I, it. I at, least, I at least acknowledge I'm an idiot now. Right. Um, so, so what's some of the, the research that maybe you've come across? And, and I know this whole thing has only been going on for, what, a month and a half. So it's not like we've got yeah. doctoral dissertations written on it. Um, there, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of research yet. That's good. There isn't, there hasn't been enough time that's passed yet to say like, here's what the impact is going to be. But based on some, some other research I've done about the generation, there's just kind of a few key things that I think are going to be um, big things to pay attention to for people in the generation and people supporting the generation. Right. So the Federal Reserve Board of Governors did this paper, or this research about millennials. And what one of the things that they found is that in general, and I can kind of, we talked in our first episode about why this is true, but in general, people in their 20s and 30s have lower levels of home ownership, net worth, and real income than any other previous generations that compare to that group in that age bracket, mm -hmm. right? So we know kind of all the different reasons that that might have happened or that might have taken place. So here's the tricky part of that. One of the reasons that's true is because this generation was coming into the workforce and into adulthood and in the, into that, you know, growing up through that 22 to 30 year old age range that we talked about, all the big life events that happened then, a lot of them were coming up through that during the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. Even people that are in the older part of the generation, right, that are in their 30s to 40s, that was the first part of their career. Mm -hmm. So what we know for, about people who come into a high unemployment market is that it impacts them in their careers a couple important ways. One is that it is limited career mobility. Mm -hmm. One is, and then with limited career, career mobility, um, it can kind of pair with or be an independent factor of that they also have limited income growth because mm -hmm. of that. 
And then the, the um, sort of trickle down effect with that is that baby boomers then and people who are nearing retirement age stay in the workforce longer. So that's what can limit that limited financial growth or career mobility because there's people staying in the career in the workforce longer. And so, um, so that's delaying retirement for boomers. That's delaying sort of the career growth for, for those uh, millennials and Xers and kind of as everybody moves up. So the, the concern is now that's going to happen twice yep. to millennials. Yep. It happened in the early parts of their career or as they're entering the workforce. And now it's starting over again. I saw a meme, you know, another great thing that's happening with millennials is I feel like they're leading the way with humor on the internet with all the meme creation of stuff. We know how to make um, fun of ourselves. That's for sure. And like, we have to, right? Cause right. like, what have we faced in our lives? Right. So um, I saw a great meme that said, um, said it's like Paul Rudd and he's got like a laughing grin on his face and he's like that feeling when you're encountering your second once in a lifetime recession yeah, yeah. <laughs> before you're 40 I was like that's so good it's so true true yeah, it's terrifying. It's so true and it's it's like thank god we can laugh about that because it just is what it is right like we didn't cause it we have to deal with it right well and even what you said about let's take that let's take the oldest category of millennial. So they were born at 80. Yeah. So they would have graduated college in 2002. Yep. 2003. Yeah. Had some working years. Let's say they wanted to buy their first house in 2008 or 2009, which is 28, 29. That's fairly reasonable to right. buy your first house at 28, 29. Yeah. Um, even if you had fantastic credit and you had a good job, banks were locked up. Good right. luck trying to get a loan. <laughs> So, so even for like the cream of the crop at that stage, it was almost impossible. Or you had just bought your first home. Yeah. Right. And the recession hit and you lost your job. Yep. And you were making really hard decisions about how you were going to stay in that house. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. the other side of it. And so what happened is if that was the case for you, then anything you had planned for extra savings, going into retirement, building that nest egg that you really needed to not be able to be not have to be freaking out about money right that free previous generations have been able to have that's poof gone out the window right 100 it's it's um <laughs> it's interesting what you said about the psychology of going through two rounds of this i mean we haven't we have we've barely started the second round i mean this is going to be yeah it's going to be talk, a long yeah talk about a roundhouse right. kick to the face as a, yeah. as a country in a world but the the ability to make fun of yourself. It's gonna be <laughs> the important. Memes. I, I mean, mean, it's gonna be really important. Yeah, if like you said, if nothing else comes out of this, it's the fact that we can you know have some fun with it. Absolutely. But, you, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things in, in that sense though is, do you feel like in the workplace? Um, so originally we talked about how millennials really fighting and advocating for that work life balance. The the Xers and the Boomers like that eventually. Right. Do you feel like millennials have been bringing something to the table now during this whole deal that boomers and and Xers are liking? Because quite frankly, we're the ones that are teaching people how to Zoom. Yeah, I think the innovation and being able to quick, the quick adaptability is uh, if I would guess, especially based on the feedback I've heard from clients and based on how I see them operating. So this is all anecdotal, right? But 
things I've heard from friends, all of that. I would say, I think millennials are the ones leading the quick adaptation and saying, here's how we go to market. Like here's, Mm -hmm. here's how we pivot and change. There are exceptions to that, right? Like that, that's a generalization. There are exceptions to that, but um, I think that they're, they're the ones that are able to make that swift, that swift change. The other thing that I think that we're really bringing to the table and, and um, I think it's going to be why this is our defining our defining moment as a generation is that um, I mentioned earlier, Gen Z, they think they're going to be more competitive, whereas millennials are more collaborative. I think that that, that collab, if we can maintain that collaborative nature, that desire to be more collaborative, that is going to serve us very well in problem solving everything that is impacting this pandemic and, and has proven as such. Right. So if you look at um, like um, there's like a a volume of crowdsourcing of like how to troubleshoot problems that people have had at home, right? That's collaborative in nature. It's like, this helped me. Let me push it out. Everything from anxiety management to schedules for helping, trying to create schedules to work from home well or manage work, you know, homeschooling kids, you know, both of those things um, really well. Like you kind of see that you see people. I saw a lot of people who had been on like, Instacart shipped, uh, DoorDash, like all of those had been heavily using those services. Like I saw a lot of people like saying, this is a great service. You're going to need it. Pushing that out. That's Mm -hmm. collaborative in nature. Like here's this resource I have. You're going to need it. You're going to use it. Here you go. Um, I think that that's going to be and that collaborative nature is going to be really, really important in navigating a lot of this. And I think, um, and I think it's going to serve the nation well, the world well, because of that sort of generational factor, as long as we can maintain it. I think my concern is uh, what will the, what will all of this do to a scarcity mentality? And that yep. usually, that usually hinders a collaborative nature. So I think you, when you see people feeling like I don't have enough or can't get access to what I need. Uh, that's when the scarcity mentality kicks in. And that tends to be a detractor from a collaborative mindset or a collaborative nature. But again, it's going to be adapt and fight. And when you've got the most talented, diverse ways of thinking in one place, that's your highest likelihood of being able to adapt quickly. And so that's, that's sort of a cornerstone of collaboration and, and, and inclusivity, which is another defining factor of the, of the millennial generation too. So I want to piggyback on what you just said about the scarcity mentality, because I was thinking another meme I saw. <laughs> it said, uh, it was something along the lines of like, why are, uh, why are millennials so pissed off or why are millennials so sad or whatever it was? And the response was, I don't know, dude, we watched uh, 3000 people down live TV in like ninth grade and things never got better. Maybe that's why yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a generation defined by crisis. And I, I was thinking about this, right? So like nine 11 was the defining crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the ways that in the United States we've defined generations. What's the crisis you faced and like, what's the defining moment of that? So for like baby boomers, it's JFK getting assassinated for, um, Gen, for Gen X, it wasn't even a crisis. It was the, um, the, um, oh my gosh, I'm just forgetting it right now. The internet burst. Y2K? No. No. 
I'll, it'll, I'll come think of it in 20 minutes okay. and it'll come back to it. But it wasn't even really a crisis compared to like what other generations have faced. Um, Pearl Harbor for the greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. Well, for our generation, it was like, boom, 9-11, boom, Hurricane Katrina, boom, Great Recession. Yeah. And I would also say, to be real honest, another defining factor of, the, of uh, Gen Z um, is also increased school shootings. Yeah. I was I was a junior in high school when uh, Columbine happened, right? Um, mm-hmm. And certainly there were some before that, but they've kind of just escalated since then. And so I think um, you you take that along with the the you know notorious helicopter parenting of our generation, which was the sort of constant oversight, right? Yep. Um, we're kind of bound to figure out how do you find a good solution quickly because. We were like we were born and you know that we were coming of age during all of this crisis with parents that are like everything's going to be fine <laughs> so we had to find a way to, for it to be fine so that we could have our space to kind of grow and develop right yeah so um i think other generations haven't had to face that the same way that millennials have had to so what's interesting what you said about the helicopter parents it's the it's basically boomers raised the raised us and there's nothing like, you know, raising a generation and then complaining about how poorly that generation was raised. Uh, when you're the one right. who raised them, so should right. say something about your parenting skills. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, let's, let, so, so, but back to that scarcity mindset, what I'm partially worried about, like you said, is at some point, you know, especially with mental health issues, especially with, and we talked about this in the last episode, like we grew up in a time, um, where social media was on like, was in the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. I think, I think you said in the last uh, conversation, you're like, thank God I'm an old millennial because if my internet stuff was on the, like, it's like, whoo. And and I think about that too. Every day Mark Zuckerberg is the same age as me. (laughs) Yeah. So so I'm a little bit younger than you, but I feel the same exact way because Facebook for me didn't even become a big deal until I guess junior or senior high school. Yeah. Like that's when it, when it started being kind of a, we had MySpace before that. Yeah. Uh, and then there was, was it Zender or Zeng or something. I don't know. Was some, there was another platform, something, right. but it wasn't 24 seven. Like I even remember Twitter not being that big of a deal. I remember Instagram right. not being that big of a deal. Um, you know, my wife always says like, she thought Instagram was just the editing app. So she didn't even know she was posting <laughs> until somebody liked a picture, like six pictures. And she was like, Holy crap, people can see this. So, that's awesome. So, that's so good. So we never even really got to figure out. We just kind of were thrown into the social media world where all this negativity happens and, and judgment and, and self-comparison, which is which leads down to these other things. And now I it's what I'm scared of is like generational comparison is gonna become even more intense where it's like crap. My parents had, were on their second home by the time they were 33. I can't even get my first one or something along those lines. Yeah, I I'm actually worried less about generational comparison as I am about the continued proliferation of misinformation on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that I think is um, really another, we're going to be talking about memes a lot. (laughs) It's an important medium. It's a defining moment of our generation, memes. Um, So I, I thought it was really interesting because if you remember right as the pandemic started, people were like, millennials go home, quit being at the, you know, it was, mm-hmm. there was like all these people partying in South beach and the beaches of Florida. Cause it was spring break. And somebody, I think it was, I actually think it was originally a Twitter post that they turned into a meme that was like, 
quit yelling at millennials. We're, we're at home in quarantine with our kids, taking care of our parents, telling them not to go outside. Yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. to Gen Z. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and that's accurate, right? That mm-hmm. like the, it's a continued, poli- pol- oh my gosh, I can't say the word right now, <laughs> proliferation of this misinformation about who a millennial is. Because mm-hmm. when I look, when I watch the news, I'm like watching who they're having on um, as experts and people that are like the, um, I think Mr. Rogers called them the helpers, that they're doing all these good news stories on. I know it's a cheesy term, but I'm going to call it what it is. It's the helpers. It's the people that are like, yeah, I saw this need in my community. So I fixed it, right? A lot of those people are, are they're, they're millennials. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, it's interesting because there's this desire to help be connected to community. And, um, but the misinformation about who the millennial generation is just generally persists. So for anybody who's listening, that's outside the generation, I'd encourage you to say, do I think this person is between 40 and 25? And if they are, that's a millennial, good or bad, right? Everybody outside of it. Um, those are generally people that are in other generations, younger or older. Right. So, um, kind of just a good check right there. Yeah. yeah. Millennials are not taking body shots off of people in Miami. I promise you that they're, no, again, <laughs> they're stuck like, at home. Well, and again, like we lived, we lived through so much crisis that we want to mitigate it. Right. We're mm-hmm. like, listen, I think again, these are generalizations of course, but I think that, I think that, um, I think millennials are probably more interested in solving this problem than they are in contributing to it more than anything. Well, and let's even, so and this, this is something that breaks my heart, but you know, March, it was either second or third, the tornado came through Nashville yeah. and which really, really, really sucks because man, oh man, has this whole quarantine lockdown thing, taken away resources from the people who need it Absolutely. scenario. But there was about a week time period where basically, and this is something that's just incredible in the spirit of Nashville is like, there were too many volunteers. Okay. So <laughs> right. yeah, wife and I, a couple friends, you know, we organized a group. We went to North Nashville. We were doing cleanups and this was right before the shutdown happened. I can tell you, and I paid attention to this, the majority of the people around me, and there was thousands upon thousands of people around me I know. were roughly my age. That's Give what I take. saw. Yeah. Yeah. That's what By I was far. seeing too. Absolutely. So it's, I tell people all the time, it's like, you want, if you want to go build a house for Habitat for Humanity, Bro, go find some 25 to like 40 year olds with, I promise you within two days, you'll have at least 10 to 15 volunteers. Yeah. It's, it's a really easy rallying call. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that collaborative nature. Want to be a part of community, want to help out mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, I also think a lot of it is, you know, I think back at maybe like 2008, 2009, people graduating college at that time specifically everybody and their mom told you, good luck. Life sucks. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> we'll see how you do in the workspace. And it's like, screw you. I'm graduating college. Like this is supposed to be like a fun time. You're supposed to tell me the world is my oyster, not life sucks. Yeah. But everybody was just like feeding into this negativity, which we can blame the media. We can blame society. We can blame blah, right. blah, blah, blah. We know negativity sells. Right. But like, that's a terrible way to help. Like it's <laughs> a terrible way to just start off somebody's working career. It's like, Hey, your life's going to suck. Congratulations. Yeah. 
nothing, nothing like sugar coating everything for you your entire life and making sure it all seems like sunshines and sunshine and rainbows. And then when you have to take responsibility for it, the first thing they say is, yeah, it's well, <laughs> and and I've even thought about this. So you know, the Michael Jordan documentary is out right now. ESPN yeah. doing it every week, and and I'm watching this basketball that was played in the '80s and '90s. And they were just, I mean, ruthless assholes to each other. And it's super entertaining, (laughs) super violent. But that generation really, um, for lack of a better term, craps all over the current generation of NBA players because they say back then we hated each other. We would never play together. We hated it. We wanted to beat each other. Whereas the LeBron Jameses of the world, who's what, 31, 32 or whatever, maybe 33, um, they figured out the collaborative spirit again. They mm-hmm. figured out like how to build these super teams and, and come together. So it transcends so many different things mm-hmm. um, and, and different ways that, that we approach just the world. You know, um, you know who's the best example of that transition? Who's that? It's Kobe. Um, because Kobe was so competitive, right? And had mm-hmm. the Mamba mentality and was so focused and would outwork anybody and was like kind of focused on being the GOAT. Like he mm-hmm. wanted to be, he, he aspired to be like MJ, but he wanted to beat him too, right? Yeah. Which is very much, I think, a gen, I think that's the older generation, Gen Zer um, mindset. But then look at as his career progressed in these. So he had to, he had, he and Shaq, right, had notorious, right, had tension. They still could win these mm-hmm. games together, but they were like somehow rivals that ended up as teammates. But then you look at how he, as he sort of ended his career and as he then matriculated into post-retirement, how much he brought people under his, his wing. And he was a cusper in terms of, I think, am I right that he was, he was 42, right? Yeah. So he graduated high school in 96. So he's, he's uh, at the end of Gen X, right? And so generally what we start to see with any generation that's on the edge is they kind of show both of those, um, show both of those personalities or mentalities. So he's like a really good example of how you saw him transition through his career um, and grow up through his career with, with kind of those different playing styles and in his interaction styles with other players too. That's really interesting. So what do you think, you know, with Gen Z being that, more competitive generation or turning out to be that more competitive generation. How do you think that's going to mesh with millennials as they come into the workforce? Cause boomers are going to be leaving the workforce. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, hopefully well, they we'll, retire. See. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I think this is going to prolong boomers staying in the workforce there. Um, there was a study. I'm going to forget which study it was that they studied the average age of CEOs and in, in 10 years, it went up. Um, it went in, in 10 year within a, in a 10 year time frame, it increased by three or four years, which mm. is a lot. When you consider right? it's an average. Yeah. And the study was done in 2017. So from 2007 to 2017, it increased by three years when you look at it being an average. And generally those statistics are reflective of the workforce. Like if a CEO who's at the top of their earning bracket feels like they have to work longer in some capacity, you got to believe that the rest of the workforce is feeling the same way. Mm. Right. And if you, if you hear what people are saying about the economy right now, boomers are not, they're worried about the economy because of what it means for what's in their retirement plan, most of all right now. And then they're also saying, and I'm worried about what this means for other generations and, you know, but I, for their personal impact, it's how is it really affecting their retire, their ability to retire and their ability to live in retirement, right? Mm -hmm. Financially versus the younger generations are like, um, if you're a, a, in a more white collar profession, it's 
am I going to be able to just pay my bills and keep my job and that kind of a thing? And honestly, for a big chunk of millennials, it's, am I going to be able to survive? Mm -hmm. You know, because there's a large percentage of um, employees in those frontline, sorry, in those hospitality industry positions, all of that, that, um, that uh, are out of jobs now, right? And then that means they don't have insurance and that means they can't pay their bills and they can't afford to get sick and all that kind of stuff is happening to them too, right? So um, I lost my train. I did this on our last podcast too. I started to make a point and I lost my train of thought. Where were we starting with this? You were, you were talking about, I, I oh. was asking you if, if Gen Z coming in will mesh with millennials from the competitive side. No, it's, they're not going to just like every previous generation has had conflict. They're not going to, it's going to, there's going to, this has happened since the beginning of time that kids these days has been a variation. They've found a variation of that sort of mentality. I think there was a, I mean, um, Socrates is, is crapping on the younger generations 3000 years ago. There you go. I mean, they've, they've done studies of this through history. So do I think there's going to be conflict? Absolutely. I think there's going to be conflict. It will be very interesting over the course of the next couple of years, what that conflict will look like because Gen Z will be at the mercy of older generations more so than they would be because of the current economy and job market. But I think their way around it is going to be innovation. So I think, um, I think that their way around it is going to be um, finding, creating new jobs, new ways of working. This is Gen Z is the generation that made being a YouTuber a job. Yeah. They're, they seem you know, entrepreneurial. They are very entrepreneurial. That's another defining characteristic of, of Gen Which Z. I love. Very entrepreneurial. Yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. Get your side hustle on and make it your main hustle. Yeah. That's, and they're trying to do that. They've been trying to do that since they were, 11 and 12. And they were even younger when the first recession happened. So there's a higher percentage of Gen Zers thinking about contributing to retirement than there were at, of millennials at that age. Whoa. Okay. Because, because their first confrontations with money were, um, you know, their first confrontations with money were uh, people losing their jobs and parents saying, or grandparents saying they're not going to be able to retire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So those are probably the first things they remember hearing about money. So yeah, so they're trying to be proactive. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, this was fun. Yeah, it was. I loved, I love this conversation. I, uh, I want to kind of leave on this point. Um, I think a real, one of the most interesting things that I heard, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is um, I do think the pandemic is the defining, it's a defining moment for the, for the millennial generation. I think we're old enough now to not have it happen to us and Mm -hmm. to really be a part of it. I think, I think the great recession happened to us. And I think what happens with the pandemic um, and happens after the pandemic will be a result of us. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I also think uh, making sure that people, uh, Dr. Deborah Bricks, who's on the white house council, she's the woman that's in all the press. If if people are watching press, uh, the the press conferences, she's the, the doctor that's, you know, helping sort of guide the, the path there. She said, I think millennials are going to be the main uh, reason that we avoid major, major medical tragedy in this, in this country because they're the largest generation and they are the most collaborative in nature. And so I really think that this is a defining moment for the generation. And I hope that people that are millennials are thinking about how do I make sure that this um, this I'm learning and contributing to solutions as much from this pandemic and not letting it happen to me. 
and how am I not just looking at me? How am I looking at what it's doing to my community, my neighbors, my country, um, the world, yeah. and find a way to contribute that way? Do you think, and, and I agree with you on that front, I think that's huge, um, but do you think that in a weird way, Again, something I was talking to my wife about when we were having our conversation about me, quote, thriving during this. Um, again, we all understand pandemic and people dying aside. Like we can all agree that's a terrible aspect of it. And we all need to do our part to avoid infecting people or spreading the disease or any of that. But just from a pure like being at home and it's almost as if in my life, I think about it, it's almost been characterized by like, this fear of FOMO, like we always got to figure out what's going on, you know, again, with social media being introduced when we were in high school, et cetera. Um, this disconnected part to a degree has been really relaxing. I think it's been really valuable. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a blessing in disguise where you're just like, yeah. man, this has been kind of fun. We're not worried about what restaurant we're going to. We don't really like the hustle and bustle. Like, I mean, you know, this here in Nashville, they're working on 440. Yeah, Nashville. So Thompson is in my neighborhood and Thompson Lane is like the redirecting for all of 440. So it's just been a nightmare to have literally interstate traffic on a road right. in my neighborhood. Right. Um, there's nobody on there. You're there's right. like two cars. I know. Like whenever I look out there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been kind of rewarding to do. I, I think um, I, uh, one of my mantras is comparison. It's, I, it's not mine. I didn't create it. I just, it's a thing I remind myself of is comparison is the thief of all joy. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens by not going to work and being around that many people every single day and almost being so busy that we can't be, I mean, I think people are so busy or, and, or so sick of screens. They don't want to be on social media all day. Yep. Um, and I, that with, the concerted effort of trying to put more positive into the world than negative right now. I think that that thief of joy is absent in a large way. And I hope that people remember that, that yeah. when, you know, I hope they really remember that when we go back to whatever the new normal is going to be, that um, what good did it do for us to slow down, to not compare, to not be worried about what's the next big thing um, that we're striving for. Um, and I think that's across generations. I don't think it's just a millennial thing. I think a lot of people are learning that and I hope we can, I hope we can retain that part of this time. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's yeah. an awesome way to end this. Sarah, thanks for coming on. Always uh, glad to spend time with you. Well, let the folks know where can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, my company is shiftive. That's the word shift. Like you're shifting a car I V E and we're, uh, you can use that to find me on Instagram or Facebook and then, um, Sarah Henning, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's an easy way to connect. Always happy to make those connections. And my email is Sarah at shiftive.com. If you ever want to connect, our website is shiftive.com. How'd you come up with that name? Yeah, thanks. So uh, I'm glad you asked because in the world where you're creating a business, finding a URL is important. Mm, yep, yep. <laughs> so you have to get creative. And I just believe the world, the, one of, I, another mantra of mine is constant is the only, uh, change is the only constant. Mm -hmm. And so we're always having to shift our mindset, the way we work and again, adapt or die, right? So I liked the concept of that shift or change sort of being part of the word. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have to make something up anyway <laughs> to, to get a URL. Um, and the, the um, 
the suffix ive means to have a nature of so hmm. shiftive means to have the the nature of change and shifting and being able to adapt so that's, that's pretty clever name. thanks i like that Millenn you. millennial manhood is like 20 grand if i want to buy that URL, yeah, right? so, so I'm not, right? millennial dash manhood <laughs> In the meantime, yeah. millennial dash yeah. guys, dash dot man. Um, <laughs> we find you good. <laughs> well, thanks for, again. Thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for having me again. Anytime folks, if you want to reach out to Sarah, she's awesome. Um, or if you just want to follow her on Instagram, I don't like, there's just all kinds of cool stuff that she posts. Um, everybody else, millennial dash manhood.com info at mmcip.co. If you want to get a hold of us, remember criticism is only allowed. If it's constructive, don't just complain, offer a solution. And we'll talk to you guys soon.